0: Welcome to the HR Chat Podcast, bringing the best of the HR and talent communities to you.
1: Welcome to another episode of the HR Chat Show. I'm your host today, Bill Bannum, And in this HR Chat, we're going to consider improving the data literacy skills of the HR department. My guest this time is Matthew Hamilton, head of HR Strategy and People Analytics at Protective Life. As part of their mission to upskill their workforce, Protective Life has contracted AIHR to upskill their HR professionals with analytical and data skills and help foster a data-driven culture. And we're going to talk all about these wonderful things and why more companies should be out there trying to upskill their people in this interview today.
0: (laughs) What HR skills do you have to stay relevant? Join the Academy to Innovate HR to learn modern and relevant HR skills, all 100% online and self-paced. Visit AIHR.com to find online training programs on popular topics like HR analytics, HR digital, learning and development, talent acquisition, and organizational development. Visit AIHR.com and get the skills you need to hit your HR career goals.
1: Matthew, welcome to the show. Thanks, Bill. I'm
0: excited to be here.
1: So before we get going, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself? Uh, I believe you have an engineering background. How did you end up doing people analytics?
0: Yeah, so uh, I definitely followed a a non-standard path uh, to get here, although that's probably not too uncommon uh, from people in the space. So I actually started my career in the military. I was a military officer for eight years, um, and then got out, um, of the service and worked in aerospace manufacturing. I have a engineering degree by education, um, and was doing, um, commercial aerospace manufacturing. And then ultimately my wife and I wanted to, to relocate. And, and so I found my way into banking, um, into HR, um, leveraging that, that, uh, military background for the leadership skills. And, and it's funny if we had talked, uh, eight years ago, I, I would have swore to God, to you that I would never work in banking, I'd never work in insurance, and I'd never be in HR. Um, and now I've checked all three of those boxes off in the last eight years. Um, but, I, but I had made my way into HR. And and then uh, that kind of created the pathway into people analytics. Uh, the, the company I was with at the time was looking to expand the data driven capability of HR. And, and I kind of, it's kind of a joke, but not too far from the truth that the uh, executive looked around internally and Eyes lay on me and said, "Well, Matthew, you you understand math. You have an engineering degree. A lot of HR folks don't really understand math very well. So come figure this out and come make it happen." So uh, that that was kind of my pathway into people analytics, um, and and um, it's it's just kind of set with me. It's it's kind of found been the niche that I found um, career wise, which has led me to do this
1: okay wonderful gosh that that is a that's an unusual background certainly uh to get to where you where you are now what why is it important do you think for hr to have data driven and analytical skills matthew does everyone need to have them at this point in, the, in we're in 2020 right Yeah. does everybody pretty much need to understand the, the basics of data to be able to i don't know find that conduit who can connect your people somewhere uh in, in all of the streams of data or to to help projects business patterns over the next 6 to 12 months. Should, should everybody have some degree of, of data analytical skills at this point?
0: Yeah, so the, the quick answer, I, I think, is yes. Uh, all HR professionals need to have some level of data fluency or data literacy. Um, if you take a step back and look at, at the function of HR, um, I, I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me that HR kind of lags other business functions in terms of being Analytical, being data driven, um, sort of the nature of the work historically, HR has just been a, a much more transactional type function. You know, go go hire people for me, go handle performance management and and compensation and payroll and terminations and all that. So it's been it's been a very transactional focused um, type of function and has lagged other things like um, sales and marketing, for example, in terms of starting to leverage more data. Um, but a lot of h r organizations have started to shift over the last decade or two into being more strategic partners to the business and and sort of an implied uh, part of being a strategic strategic partners is to come with facts and data to the business leaders you support and um, so there's there's started to be this movement where h r as a function realizes they need to be more data driven um, um, more analytically rigorous and so what does it take for the function for the organization to be able to do so? The the people have to 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 some degree be be data driven in how they approach problems, and and I do think it's important for all HR professionals to to gain some level of, ac- of acumen. Uh, obviously, different roles may have more or less of a need, um, but there's research out there. Um, uh, you know, uh, Deloitte I think has some some research where they've done the the level of maturity uh, of analytics maturity within an HR function. Uh, is is really related to the gap between your your analysts and your HR practitioners overall. so so what they kind of mean by that is if you had a if you had a crack team of of HR analytics um, professionals, just the the analysts themselves who are really good and understood this, if the rest of the org, the HR practitioners, the rest of the organization doesn't understand what they're bringing to them, you might as well not be doing any of this. It, you really lose the capability if, if things are lost in translation between your small number of analysts and your broader team of HR practitioners. So that's why I, I think it really is important that, that um, the, the broader base of HR practitioners has that level of data data literacy, data fluency. It's not that we want every HR practitioner to be an analyst, but they got to understand. They got to be able to consume the data-driven insights that are being brought to them, so they can help translate that uh, to your business leaders.
1: Okay. And uh, your role in, in helping them do that, of course, is is very very important. In fact, you join Protective Life to help them build data-driven capabilities in their HR department. T- tell us more about that process. How, how did you implement the so-called four pillars of a data-driven culture?
0: Yeah, so so this is kind of my second go at doing this. I had I had been the, uh, the, the initial people analytics um, manager at the company I was at prior to Protective, and uh, last year got recruited away. Um, so I, I came into this knowing a little bit of the path to follow already. I was I was pretty transparent as I was uh, interviewing for the role of the direction that I intended to take us if I joined the company, and so so when I came in, um, I. I kind of focus, and, and I repeat this message a lot to our HR team, I, I focus around what you mentioned there, the the four pillars of a data-driven culture. And and I would like to claim um, the, the origination of that, but I can't. Um, it, it actually comes from a, a writer, uh, an analytics writer named Brent Dykes, who writes for Forbes, um, not just about people analytics, but about uh, just analytics in general. But but it really is applicable in the people analytics space. So the, the four pillars of a data-driven culture, he says, is the mindset, the skill set, the tool set and the data set. So if you think of the the, the the third and fourth one there, the tool set and the data set, that's really sort of the infrastructure of being able to do people analytics. So there's a lot of HR data out there, but it's gotta be um, organized in a in a usable fashion. It's gotta be cl- clean to some degree, it doesn't have to be perfect. You gotta have a tool to, to do this with, you know, um, Excel is is um, for as much power and as, as powerful as it is and the things you can with Excel, it's not a scalable tool for people analytics. Um, and most HR professionals don't have the, the skills to do the very advanced things with it. So that's sort of the infrastructure side. So I came in knowing that we were going to need to clean our data and implement a, a platform. So that was sort of one path we went down was was getting a, a pure play people analytics uh, solution platform to do this on. Um, but then concurrently, I was, I was going down the first two pillars, the mindset and the skill set. Um, and, and that's where we really started the, the upskilling and the education and the socialization of the concepts for our HR professionals, um, sort of in, in parallel with getting the platform to, to do these kinds of analyses, um, to work towards those things that we talked about before, just having a, a common shared understanding of our, of our HR data. How is it being generated? Where does it come from? What does it mean? uh terminology and making sure people are on the same page when we say when when we're talking and we use the word turnover what exactly does that mean because there's a very specific definition of what turnover is but unfortunately um, when people aren't speaking from a shared common uh, language and understanding it's not uncommon for them to be uh, speaking about two different things in their minds but they're using the same word so that was that was sort of the you know the path that I set us on when I joined the company to uh, concur, uh, uh, at the same time in parallel build the the people skills the mindset and the skill set uh, as at the same time that we were building the organizational capability and infrastructure the tool set and the data set of analytics.
1: Okay, thank you. Now then uh, we we mentioned uh, that you guys have recently uh, started using the, the academy to innovate HR. I'm I'm currently a student of uh, AI HR myself, uh, so I'm I'm going through that journey too. Um, when it comes to mindset and skill set, uh, the the specialized training that you've opted for, maybe maybe you can tell tell us a bit more about that. Why you decided to go for it, and um, what are some of the hope for outcomes?
0: Yeah, so so when you kind of look at building that um, that capability and people, um, in addition to all the other things, I've, as you mentioned in the intro, I've I've got responsibility for HR strategy and people analytics, and then kind of the part that's not named in there, but I have the the HR technology, um, the ownership of the HR technology. So the HRS team reports up to me. Um, so there's. There just comes the issue that I think all professionals face of bandwidth, of time, and capability to do different things. So, um, and I've got a very small team dedicated specifically for people analytics. So I, I needed to leverage, uh, you know, other minds and content that was out there. Um, the The people analytics team that, that we have is not trainers either. You know, think think corporate trainers, right? So there's there's a good degree where we where we can help train people, but we're not. Uh, trained ourselves as trainers to develop, you know, uh, instructional design, uh, um, to develop content. So, you know, so I was kind of faced with, well, there, there is a lot of great content out there that's that's available from lots of different sources. And, and to some to some degree, we do use some of that. We share, you know, if we come across great articles or um, different things online, we will share that content because um, it can be useful, but the problem from a sort of a big picture learning pathway view is that that when you do that it, it one, it becomes a, a, a work effort on us to build out that learning content, which is what we just really don't have a lot of time for. And like I said, aren't, aren't necessarily the most skilled at doing. Um, but then the other problem is I think the user experience, the, the user side of it is that it creates sort of this hodgepodge of, of different content that may be good in and of itself, but there's not sort of a, a central through line, a, a, you know, a common theme to it. So it, it becomes harder to really, for some of those things to click in the learner's mind because it wasn't designed coherently, if you will. Um, so that was, that was one thing where we just uh, you know, started to look, well, what are, the, what are the sources out there where we could get sort of comprehensive training in the space from? And there's, there's really not a ton out there Um, you know, there's, there's a, there's a handful, but there's not a ton because this people analytics is sort of a, a a budding field. Um, um, so there's just not as many resources out there. And I had, I had been familiar, um, with Academy to Innovate HR, um, back when it was, uh, AHR was analytics in HR, um, it literally started as a, as a blog out there, um, their, their founder, Eric Van Volpen. I'd, I'd followed him on, online for several years. So I was kind of already aware of the space. And then um, that's what led me back to them once they had you know, built out the more formalized training component. Um, um, so I was, was kind of already comfortable and familiar with them being experts in the space. Um, so that's kind of what led us to, to leverage their, their learning content to build our, our team's capabilities.
1: and listeners uh, i recently interviewed eric actually so uh, by the time this show gets released eric's show should also be out there so you should totally check it out as a, as a follow-up to the, to this conversation today um another question for you I- i'd love for you to offer a couple of examples of how people analytics can can help or enhance hr uh, so we've spoken about that a little bit so far but maybe you can offer some uh, real practical examples now um. So some, some 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 teasers maybe to get to get our listeners thinking. Oh man! If if I had that skill set, or if I if I applied uh, my knowledge in this way, it, it could really I don't know save me time, uh help with my budgets, uh, help me understand who my top performers are. Perhaps you can share a few examples there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. So. I I think definitely the the specific examples can be very unique to different companies. I mean, there's definitely themes that companies face. You know, retention issues, compensation issues, performance issues. So there's you know there's the that are common to everybody, but the specific challenges that each company face are are unique to them. And I would throw out for for any of your listeners who are you know early in the in the phases or or even. Not even really started down their people analytics journey, you really do want to consider what your business needs are and help that leverage that to help you drive going down this path. Um, because you don't want to go solve a problem that's not a problem or, or solve a problem not on you know top of your CEO's mind. Um, that would just you're not gonna you're not gonna get a lot of momentum if you're solving problems that your CEO doesn't feel are big issues. Um, but but so I did I did kind of think about this in advance, wanted to throw out just a few examples that may be um, timely um relevant to, to people. So you know we're we're recording this here in in November of 2020, um with the, the global COVID pandemic going on. And so we've had a few things that we've implemented as, as in the grand scheme, not very complex analyses, um, but but relevant and, and timely and important. So and so one of them was was back when um, when infection rates started going up um, um, in the United States, back in, in March was when it kind of hit our state. Um, we, we very quick, quickly transitioned our workforce to, to work from home. We've had for several months now, we've had 95% or more of our company working remotely, um, which is, is from a business standpoint has worked very well. Um, for us, one of the impacts that we've seen though is that people weren't using their their time off as much. Uh, we, we, we exited the office pretty much the week before most um, planned spring break periods were. So we saw a lot of people cancel their spring break plans. And in the first few months of the pandemic, we, we saw people using a lot less of their paid time off. And, and our company policy lets us roll a, a certain number of hours over into the next year, but not all of them. If you, if you don't, if you're over that limit, you're gonna lose your paid time off. And so, so we undertook an analysis that we kind of refreshed every month here to to see well how far behind are we compared to a a normal year. And in the early part we we used that to adjust our our policy uh, and how we would handle the transition from twenty 2020 twenty into twenty twenty one. You know the company's concern was, well wouldn't want to just buy out everybody's unused time because that'd be a a very quick, significant financial hit to the company. Um, but we also didn't want to do anything that didn't accommodate the employees at all because that would negatively impact them. So we were able to find sort of that fine line in between to adjust our carryover policy so that it, it could you know, uh, create the best scenario for as many people as possible without negatively impacting the company's financials. Um, but then also encourage employees in the remaining months of the year to utilize their time off, right? The, there's, there's an aspect, even if you can't go do a lot, Uh, to have that mental health break, um, to just unplug and and unwind for a little bit. Um, So that's one related to the pandemic. The other that we've um, been looking at is retention patterns. So um, we're not, uh, I think we're not dissimilar from probably most companies out there in that we've seen our our voluntary turnover, specifically our resignation rate, uh, go down steadily throughout the pandemic and it's not surprising right the job market out there isn't the best a lot of companies are closing or furloughing employees um, reducing hiring plans so there's just there's not as many roles to move into Um, so people are leaving jobs less frequently so on one hand that's that that's a good thing right our retention is is better throughout the pandemic Um, but if you if you only looked at that at a top line for the company what that's going to do is sort of hide outliers, potentially could hide outliers underneath that. So we started um, disaggregating our retention data and looking at different groups of people um, to not just understand the resignation patterns of the company as a whole, but within specific types of jobs, parts of the company. Um, And and what we did see that at least early in the pandemic, it's it's sort of normalized now, but at least early, we, we actually saw that while our resignation rate was decreasing, the resignation rate of our high performers, so people with a, uh, the highest, um, the highest, two highest ratings on a five point scale, so our high performers were resigning. Um, their rate was not decreasing and actually, it was actually increasing at first. Um, which, if you think about it, again, is not unsurprising that um, if there's not a lot of jobs that are being hired for, well, the people who are high performers at one company are probably going to be the candidates who are more competitive to get the fewer jobs that are being hired for. Um, but that, that let us really focus on that group of people. And, and it has, like I said, it's, it's kind of normalized now and, and we don't see that disparity. But I could have been a big surprise that came at us that we, um, that we weren't prepared for. Um, if if we hadn't been able to do that kind of analysis. So there's a whole lot of other examples. You know, we can talk about this for for a long time, but um, there's just a couple that we've done in the recent months here that um, others, you know, maybe other companies may well be looking at that for themselves also. Uh, But to go back to what I initially said, the the specific use cases for for using data in HRs, it really needs to be very specific and focused on a company's uh, specific challenges or issues that they're trying to work on
1: okay awesome and for those people who maybe do want to hear more examples uh get more insights from you how, how can they connect with you personally and also how, how can they uh they find out more about the company
0: um yeah so probably the best way is um, just look me up on linkedin is I'm, I'm not too much of a social media maven but uh, but i'm on linkedin Is probably the the best way um and, and then my company um protective life is is protective.com is the, the the website to learn more about uh about our company
1: wonderful well that just leaves me to say for today matthew thank you very much for being a guest on this episode of the hr chat show
0: yeah thanks for the time i appreciate it
1: and listeners as always until next time happy working and stay safe